and welcome to the weekly review with Roman. That's me. Ah, hello everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Today it's Friday. It's May. We're in the month of May. And I hear some feedback. Not sure where it's coming from. I got it. Okay. Welcome. Getting myself here adjusted as per usual. I recognize I'm on the air. I feel each week I come in and I want to have the right balance of being alert and present and not too overly caffeinated. And sometimes it's difficult. Huh. So here we are. I didn't even get finished with stating the date. So oftentimes, as much as I try to prepare, and I should say do prepare for the show, I come in, there's a lot on my mind, a lot of things percolating, and I come here, and it just takes a while to get everything set up. And today, it's only May 3rd. I was thinking I was going to try to think if I could figure out the date without looking at the computer. And uh, yeah, it's we're only into three days of May so far, and it's already been a long month. There are some news stories I'm going to get to that are going to be positive. And I say this because there's a lot of horrible things happening in the world. As per usual, people in positions of power causing more harm, more militarization. The wealth disparity continues to grow. I say this pretty much every week and have been saying it since the show began over five years ago. There seems to be an increase in violent attacks and, and hate crimes. And also recognizing that's been happening around the world, especially here on the land that we're on for hundreds of years. This is a fun show, everybody. If you're listening for the first time, just it, I believe, believe me, it will get more uplifting. And that's why I will be sharing some positive news stories. Oh, goodness. Uh, so I do want to recognize that there are some horrible things that are happening and people behaving, uh, with a lot of cruelty and it's gets overwhelming. So hopefully with me saying this, at least it will validate other folks who are also feeling this and recognizing this. And it's difficult because so much of it is systemic and the violence is stemming from state violence. And we see it all around us. And there's all uh, everything, all one can do, I suppose, is change one's own actions. And how do we give back to the community that we're in? How does this change our interpersonal lives? How do we, on a, on a, on a micro level, make that change? And all while living under late-stage capitalism, which it doesn't show any mercy, while wages keep going down, rents keep going up, etc., more people being criminalized for existing in the world and folks who are war criminals get to walk free. Wow. Uh, I am going to try to, I'm not, this is by no means a comedy show. I do want to recognize, and I will get to some positive news stories. I also feel it's important just to recognize and say out loud what's happening <sighs> to, to, to recognize it and to say it out loud um, because carrying it around inside doesn't do a lot of good. So how can we move to action? Something that inspires me a lot is seeing what a lot of folks have been doing throughout history and 
what folks are doing right now. And of course, with corporate media, we they spin most of the stories. They have sponsors. They have certain interests. And here on this show, I just want to share what, what's actually happening and uplift the voices of folks who might not normally be heard or given the platform that they deserve. So that's what we try to do here. And I appreciate you listening. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco. And we are on Ohlone land. And one way folks can give back to the land we're on, if you go online and check out the Shumi land tax, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I land tax. And for folks who are living in the East Bay and or no folks in the East Bay, that's one way directly to give back to the land that you're on. You can also donate. And we're also putting the word out just to find other ways we can give back to the, the land that we're on and wanting to, to recognize that. <sighs> okay. Moving forward, there's a, a couple stories that there's, there were, of course, lots of, there are Mayday protests and marches around the world. I have a friend who was in Paris and took some video footage of that, and there, there was a lot. There was a lot going on. Folks in Oakland shut down the port. There's just a lot of folks, and I'm sure there's plenty of things that I am not even aware of, and again, I'm only one person, and we're only as informed as our, our sources and as our the who we ask for information and how we find information. So this is, of course, I'm also recognizing this is one small piece. And of course, we're also compared to the, the grand scheme of things. And as far as the universe goes, we're here for such a little bit of time. And at the same time, everything feels really important uh, because it is. And if we're not here to take care of each other, then what are we here for? So as promised, <laughs> I will not delay any longer. I will go into some a couple of news stories of people taking action into their own hands. And uh, I appreciate that. Also, start off the show with some music. I'm Yours by Prince, which is off Prince's first album. And then a song by Eric Leeds, who worked with Prince, off the album Times Squared. And that first track we played was called Lines. Cool. Okay. So... The first article, which I, I believe I read about on, on Twitter after following some folks, uh, was published in, there's an article, there's a few articles that are around, but one I saw is in Willamette Week, or Wilmet, I believe it's pronounced, and that's out from Oregon. Wilmet, so it's www.week.com if you would like to see the article, and I believe I've also posted it on the, the page that we have on Facebook. I know Facebook's evil, they're fucking, I mean, it's, yeah, I, yeah, Facebook's evil, that's all I'm going to say. And we also share... New stories on there for the time being until we're all kicked off or completely censored. So that's I welcome other options if folks want to call in, share other options of other places folks can share articles. Uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. Anyway, here's the story. Anarchists flooded the offices of a Portland lawyer who represents the Union for ICE agents. And then they quote uh, the lawyer, and he's just... Anyway... This article is written by Katie Shepard, and it came out on April 30th. A Portland law office was trashed this weekend in an apparent attempt by an anonymous group of anarchists to intimidate a local lawyer who represents the Union for Officers at U.S. Customs and Immigration Enforcement. Last weekend, vandals... <laughs> I like how they've already made these folks the vandals as opposed to the ICE agents who are actually harming uh, and arresting families and children. Okay, uh... 
uh, I'll tr- I, I'm not going to say I'm going to try not to comment on the article as we go along because I might. Uh, just wanting to put that out there, just being really wanting just to call into question the language that's used and also that this is somehow supposed to be a bigger deal than the actual harm that's caused by the ICE agents and what they're being told to do and, and them following orders. And also there was a 15-year-old who was killed in ICE custody over the last few days. So putting that out there. Okay. And also, because I, I will I will finish this article at some point, just even the idea of the, of borders and how imaginary they are and this idea that folks were here and then in order to have a, a safe life for your family and whatever that means and to somehow not be welcomed or accepted onto land, it just... And recognizing the U.S.'s role in militarization abroad and many of the folks who are refugees now are are so due to the U.S.'s involvement abroad. <sighs> okay. This is, this is one of my more uplifting stories, so I should get, I should remember that. Okay. Last weekend, Vandals, which I should, I, okay. Vandals pushed a garden hose through a mail slot at Sean Riddell's law office in Northeast Portland, soaking the main floor and basement. The water sat undiscovered until 2.30 p.m. Sunday, April 28th. The wood wharf, the wood floor warped, which is interesting. Okay, I'm just going to be talking through this entire article, I guess. Um, I had a dream at some point this past week that I was in a place where the floor was warped, and I'm going to have to go back into my journal and, and see if that's if this happened after I read that article or before it happened concurrently. Interesting. Okay. This is not my, this is not the dream, the dream show, although maybe one day we will have, let's discuss our dreams. That sounds like a really much more uplifting, uh, interesting show. All right. One day we'll do it. Okay. The wood floor warped, carpet in the basement was stripped, drywall from the basement ceiling was yanked down in crumbling chunks. Large splotches of the concrete foundation are still wet. Riddell says the water caused thousands of dollars in damage, which will probably be covered by his insurance policy. He rebuked the vandals who flooded his office for their anonymity. Uh, And he says, when I make a political statement or when I make a, uh, when I make a political statement or when I make a political statement on behalf of a client, Riddell says, I sign my name. Well, The self-identified anarchists claimed responsibility in an anonymous email to WW early Monday morning. We decided to congratulate him on his new building by unraveling his garden hose, pushing it through his mail slot, and turning on the water, the anonymous email said. They targeted Riddell's new office in Northeast Portland because, they say, he bought it with funds earned by representing the ICE union. Riddell and other lawyers he shares the space with moved into the building last November. The anarchists suggested their motive was to intimidate lawyers from working with federal and immigration agents. Our goal was to cause maximum economic damage that should serve as a warning to all individuals and businesses that profit off the human misery perpetrated by ICE, the email said. Riddell represents, and then they have a link to the email, uh, Riddell represents the National Ice Council, which is the Union for Federal Immigration Officers. His clients filed a tort claim. I don't know what a tort claim is. It's not about the pastry, though, I'm guessing. Uh, his clients filed a tort claim against the city of Portland after Portland police declined to intervene in protests last summer outside of a federal building where ICE agents work. They have not yet filed a lawsuit. The Occupy ICE protest camp shut down the building for several days until Federal Protective Service officers set up a police line to keep protesters away from the entrance and exit. 
The protests also caused some disruptions at a Tesla dealership near the federal building and spurred a week a week long shutdown along a trolley track. Most of the anti-ICE protests in Portland have been nonviolent and often targeted buildings where federal immigration officials work rather than individuals. Riddell says uh, he wasn't feeling terrorized, unlike, of course, the folks that ICE tends to go after. Uh, I'm not a victim, he says. I'm just doing my job. Maybe you shouldn't do your fucking job. Okay. Okay. I am going to open the, the email and see if there's any other more, more information that we can share. Oh, they have their, um, they've redacted a little bit from the email that they've shared on the website. There's also the watermark on it from the, uh, from the paper. And the email address that they sent it from is water melts ice is the email address. Um, so I will open this up here and share it. I was also thinking of something else and that's something that someone else posted. They mentioned Tesla in the article and someone posted recently side note, but we need, or I'll try to add some humor in here. Someone mentioned that the Tesla logo looks a lot like an IUD. So just Google that when you have a moment. Okay. Last week, the email says, and this is from Watermelts Ice at looks like tulanota.com. Uh, last week, we paid a visit to the offices of local attorney and ICE collaborator Sean J. Riddell. Sean Riddell currently provides legal representation to the National ICE Council, the union which represents ICE agents in a lawsuit against the city of Portland in response to the Occupy ICE PDX encampment last summer. Sean's new law office, located at, and then they redacted the address, but I'm sure folks can find that, uh, was purchased partially with the money he's made from the work he's done for the National ICE Council. We decided to congratulate him on his new building by unraveling his garden hose, pushing it through the mail, pushing it through his mail slot and turning on the water. Our goal was to cause maximum economic damage. That should serve as a warning to all individuals and businesses that profit off the human misery perpetrated by ICE. For every child that is separated from their parents and locked in a cage, there are people making money off it. And I really wish that they had in- included this part of the email in the news article. However, at least they linked it and we're reading it now. For every mother that is kidnapped off the streets by La Migra and sent to a modern-day concentration camp for deportation, there are people furthering their careers off it. There's a vast infrastructure in place that allows for the everyday functioning of ICE and the people responsible have names and addresses. For a world without borders and prisons, for the free movement of all people, smash ICE. And they signed it, some anarchists. So uh, that's pretty great and good for them for getting the message out. And hopefully that will also inspire others. Um, speaking of which, so the U.S. likes to, we have a thing for, for coups and just trying to destabilize other countries. It's a thing that happens. Uh, we can't, you know, we can't house and feed people here. Uh, we got to, you know, either lock up the people here or then take our military and trash other countries invading. So there's a... Uh, Venezuela is the, the current country, and they have a lot of oil, which, um, wow, big coincidence there, right? So there are folks who are activists who are occupying Venezuela's embassy in D.C. to protest the U.S.-backed uh, attempted coup. And I believe yesterday there was an activist who was arrested through, for giving bread to people who were there, and then they wrote on her, it was Elise Gold, I believe, and they wrote, um, if you follow Code Pink 
on Twitter. You can find the information there and lots more information from them as well. They had written that she was throwing missiles, which is just so fucking ridiculous that, and also just ironic and absurd that it's the U S is the one with all the, the weapons and someone giving bread is considered a, a missile. Okay. So if you go to democracy now, they have some info on that. So I wanted to share this as well and I haven't played this yet. So let's, start out and see what this sounds like. And it's about eight minutes. Here we are outside the Venezuelan embassy. Tell us who you are, who you're with, and why you're here. I'm Ariel Gold, and I'm the national co-director for Code Ariel. Pink. Code Pink has been here, we're going on week three, uh, since uh, April 14th, and we've been here in order to protect this embassy from takeover by Guaido, who is Trump's puppet, and Trump has been trying to, Trump and Elliot Abrams, to orchestrate a coup in Venezuela and taking over this building how is has part the, of that. How has the U.S. been involved with the takeover of this building? I mean, this was the embassy. It's the embassy of the government of Venezuela. Uh, the president elected is Maduro. So what's happened here? Where are Maduro's people? Where is the government? Well, the State Department has ordered all of the Venezuelan diplomats to leave the embassy, and they did, in fact, leave the embassy. But the Venezuelan government gave us permission, and we call ourselves the Embassy Protection Collective. They gave us permission to be inside this building 24-7. Can you tell us who you are and why you're here today? My name is Kevin Zeese. I'm with Popular Resistance. I'm part of the Embassy Protection uh, collective. We're here today because this embassy is under attack. The Secret Service has been coming around, taking pictures. I've been in contact with the State Department. They tell us they are going to at some point remove us. I ask them what they're going to charge us with, and I say we're here legally. We're not trespassing. The Venezuelan government, the elected government, allows us to be here. They gave us a key to come in. So we're lawfully here. The strange thing is, if the Trump administration comes in, they'll be the lawbreakers. The Vienna Convention says this is inviolate. They can't violate this embassy. They can't trespass. They can't unlawfully entry, enter. They can't give this to the opposition. That's not their role. Their job under the Vienna Convention is to protect this embassy, not to violate it. So we're here doing the job that the Trump administration should be doing. And you're staying here day and night? We're staying here day and night. We're living here. Living here. We, we, we consider ourselves residents. Uh, we, we are tenants. Uh, We're making three meals a day, feeding up to 100 people because we have events every single evening, either educational or cultural, about all kinds of issues. And then we feed people. Can you take us inside the embassy? We're walking to the back of the Venezuelan embassy, dangling from Ariel Gold of Code Pink's backpack. It says, Guaido, not welcome here. We're going inside. Here's the key to the building okay. that we have by, under permission from the Venezuelan government. Can you tell us what these, the, this is a, a baseball jersey? Maggio Ordonez is here. Kevin, you want to explain? Alex, Alex Gonzalez. These are, they're, they're very, both Maduro and Chavez were baseball players. Baseball is a sport that's very popular in Venezuela. So where are we going? Second floor. Uh, and we, uh, we do, people live on the second, third, and fourth floors. Uh, we have our working area on the second floor. I'm Lily, I'm with Code Pink. And so basically in this room, we all kind of gather here. We have our community meetings here where we discuss the plans for the next day. We have all of our meals here. And right here we have our schedule of what we, we host events every night here. So cultural events, educational events. And so this is kind of our 
calendar of what we have planned out for the week. If you can tell me your name and what group you're with. Yeah, my name is Kay Pritzker. I'm with the Answer Coalition. So I'm here first and foremost as a U.S. citizen and uh, a U.S. citizen that sees a lot of problems in his country. Uh, right now there are 40 million people in the United States that are living in poverty. There are entire cities that don't have clean drinking water. And right here in Washington, D.C., we see luxury condos going up every single day. And outside these condos, outside these empty condos, are homeless people sleeping in the cold. And amidst all these problems, Donald Trump has declared a war on Venezuela. Now, Venezuela has not invaded the United States. Venezuela did not foreclose on millions of homes during the 2008 financial crisis. It's not Venezuela causing the problems here in the United States. So we have to ask ourselves why Donald Trump is siding with rich white Venezuelans halfway across the world over poor black and brown people right here in Washington, D.C. Ariel Gold. We here in the U.S. have a lot of nerve talking about we have to go in and help the people of Venezuela. If the U.S. were concerned with helping people, why would we be partnering with the terror government of Saudi Arabia and creating the worst humanitarian crisis on the planet? So we don't in Yemen. To, in Yemen. So we don't have to look any further than that to know what U.S. motivations are, to know that this is about Venezuelan oil and this is about the 2020 election and how Trump is trying to frame himself against Bernie Sanders as opposing socialism, which to prevent humanitarian crisis, when it's actually the U.S. that is creating humanitarian crisis, creating death in Venezuela, death in Yemen, and uh, U.S. sanctions, unilateral sanctions on Venezuela are deadly. Heaven's East. I was in uh, Venezuela last May for the re-election of President Maduro. There was actually an election. Uh, he was not a dictator. Nine million people voted. Maduro received six million votes. There were more than 150 international election observers, and they unanimously came out and said that it met international standards for democracy, there was no fraud, and Maduro was legitimately elected. And comparing that to Guaido, Guaido won second place in the National Assembly election, 24 percent of the vote in the second smallest state with a tiny political party. He got in because the top two get in. Uh, and so he got in because? The top two uh, winners, the top two in the, in the race, get into the legislature. So he got in, barely got into the legislature from a tiny state with a tiny party, and then he was elevated by Trump, Trump and Pence to be the president. Uh, he, he was unknown How? by most. Well, the, the night before, well, it was a process actually that began in January at the OAS. They had multiple meetings to try to resolve this. Leopold Lopez was on from video conference. They've been working on this for early, this that long. Then finally they decided on, on Guaido as their guy. And uh, the night before that uh, Guaido self-appointed, Michael Pence called him and said, we're behind you if you do it. The, as soon as, Mike, as, soon as uh, Guaido announced, Trump immediately endorsed him, got the right-wing governments in Latin America and the Western European countries to do it, to join him. Why? Because the example of, of, uh, of, of an independent Venezuela is a powerful example that they don't want to see. We're on the first floor of the Venezuelan embassy. Aminta Saya, can you talk about what this you're using this space for and describe it to us? Yeah, sure thing. So here is mainly where we have a lot of our cultural and educational events. We'll have different speakers come out um, basically every night uh, in order to kind of create more awareness uh, over what is happening in Venezuela um, as a whole. Kevin, describe this uh, banner on the back of the first floor room of the embassy. This, this is a 
Pre President Chavez speaking to the UN. You can see the UN insignia to the, about the global south and anti-imperialism. This is the famous speech where he said you could still smell the sulfur after George W. Bush had left. And we expect that the opposition will be painting this over. Why are you, as a member of Code Pink, Ariel Gold, so invested in Venezuela? Well, I see all of these issues connected, whether it's the U.S.'s relationship with Saudi Arabia, whether it's U.S. support for Israel's ongoing occupation. These are all issues where the U.S. is um, pushing imperialism across the world and um, creating situations that are harmful to the very people that live in those places. And this is like, this is really history in the making here. We're here at this incredible moment in time where uh, history is being made and we've realized that there's something that we can do.
a song I heard recently for the first time by a band called If These Trees Could Talk, and the song was called Malabar Front. So I'm joined here by a guest, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lon Ngo. Hi, Lon. Thanks for being here. <laughs> We're debuting my name yeah. today. It's a good day for it. It's a, it's a beautiful day outside. So we are introduced by our friend Shirley. Shirley, thank you so much uh, for introducing us. Shout out to Shirley yeah. and Untold Improv. Yes, Untold Improv. Yes, and, and Otter Tang uh, was a guest on the show on the February 1st episode. So I recommend folks take a listen to that if you'd like to check out our archive. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And Otter shared a lot of really great information about the that improv theater and uh, we just had a really good conversation. So appreciate that. I'm reflecting on why I'm here. And I was, as I was walking here, it's actually funny because the, the song, If Trees Could Talk, I just went and talked to that tree across the street <gasps> before I came in here. And I was like, tree, like, you know, like, let's be here for each other right now. Cause <laughs> and I'm, I'm here, I think it's, for me, it's like, if my body could talk. Hmm. And my body is talking, and it's how do I shift from talking from my here, from my forehead, I'm pointing at my forehead, to here, to my energy center. Uh-huh. Uh, actually have a tattoo two inches below my belly button to mark that energy center that a lot of um, traditions consider the, the hara or the energy center. So it's what does my energy center, my body, want to say? Yeah. <laughs> so I live with this hmm. So, so <laughs> Western medicine or science has given it the term fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. which some people know because Lady Gaga canceled her tour because she got, she had fibromyalgia. Oh, okay. I don't know. And then mm-hmm. some other famous person. Anyways, and then there's me. <laughs> and Fibromyalgia is really just a word to explain, in my experience, uh, having a heightened nervous system. So it's considered a, an illness or disorder of the central nervous system. And I, I, even when I say the word illness and disorder, mm-hmm. there's clenching at my gut because it's like, how do we talk about our bodies and our experiences and, and diversity of how we come into this world? And then, and then from, I so clearly I'm still struggling with that to think I have a disordered mm. central nervous system, or do we inherently, just within any ecosystem, have a diversity? And mine isn't disordered, but it's special and has its reason for why. It is the way it is. Yeah. So anyways, this, quote, disordered central nervous system, I is more prone to sending pain signals mm. due to a, what I believe is like a, a heightened state of um, arousal or hypervigilance or that the, the flight or fight sympathetic nervous system, the stress nervous system is higher. And so how that, what's, hard to explain or or unique is that 
yeah, just, I, I, you know, have a heightened sensitivity to soreness, Mm. to my brain sending signals out to different parts and be like, hey, your wrist, hey, your ankle. And, and, um, that's, I'll, I'll start with that. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Huh. I'm letting it land and I'm just thinking about it and, and where to go next in the, in the conversation. I mean, how let's, hmm. Side note, Rome and I are just meeting each other. For the first we, time. We, <laughs> so we're, it's all new. Yeah. Us too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like chronic illness is something that, if that's the term that one can use, it's just so either misunderstood or not really recognized so much in this, in our culture, along with a lot of other health issues. And so I appreciate you, you know, speaking up about it and sharing your experience. It's, it's like, I want to give a shout out to everyone who lives with a invisible disability or invisible Mm. pain, Mm -hmm. which I think we all do because pain, physical, emotional, mental, it's all one. Mm. And what are the outlets for us to release pain in our in our culture, mm. hmm. what are the socially acceptable ways? Uh, drinking. Hey, name seven. Name seven ways. Okay, it's like the improv game. Like seven <laughs> things. All right, acceptable. So that's being the key. I mean, creating art. It's not always easy. Okay, I'll, I'll try not to comment on the, each of them, but I feel okay. like drinking is one. One. Um, getting high. Two. Um, creating art. Three. Talking it out with your friends. Four. Going to therapy. Five. Going into nature. Six. Um, writing about it. Seven. These are seven things. These are seven things. <laughs> and yeah, and it was interesting that the first thing that came to mind, I mean, I personally don't drink alcohol anymore, but it's that was the first thing that came comes to mind when I think about dealing with pain mm. of any sort is that it's so readily available where uh, almost no matter where you are, um, you can you can get alcohol. And it's also like a, a social thing too. So just thinking about that and how, yeah, how readily available it is. I'm just, I guess, commenting on my own where it's like, oh, I'd... I feel like for myself, like writing about it, when I make the time to write about something I'm going through, I always feel better afterwards or going into nature or talking with friends, Mm -hmm. for instance. However, what's actually available to us, I think is those are not always, uh, okay, Roman. Yeah. So first of all, can I give a shout out to Lam, Wina and Johnny? Absolutely. A is name seven ways that are socially unacceptable ways to express pain. Ooh. As you, yes, yes. Okay, acceptable. Okay, probably going out and causing harm to someone else. One. Although we will say, I'm, I'm just going to comment okay. about all these True. since we're here talking. <laughs> um, you know, some folks can get away with it. Mm-hmm. So it's also like who gets away with violence in this culture. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's just leaving that out there for folks to think about. True. Okay, so unacceptable. Um, I think, I feel like sex in a lot of ways is like criminalized or, um, well, in some ways it's criminalized and in other ways it's also, um, maybe not, maybe that's not the word I'm looking for. It's, um, stigmatized. It's like in some ways like sex is stigmatized. I think especially for like queer folks, et cetera. Um, and it's a very puritanical country based on the. Tell me more about sex and inappropriate ways to express pain. I think some folks can well i think it might be looked at like there are some i feel like from my perception um consensual sex between adults is 
great. If, if everyone's consenting and they're adults, then there's no problem. However, the way this culture is in terms of with TV and movies, for instance, like you can see a lot of violence on TV and people shooting each other, yet you can't see nudity or, or sex, for instance. So I would say that something that someone can turn to, like, hey, you're having consensual sex. That's There's nothing wrong with that. However, as far as greater culture or American society is, we're still like, like oh no like really like uh, so the pain yeah. of of being with our disassociation with the uh, with healthy sex is that, is that what you're talking about yeah I'm, I'm thinking that some folks can use it as a comforting and a connecting mm, tool okay I see. and um i see yeah i reckon i'm also saying this on the air spur of the moment <laughs> we won't be editing this so i also <laughs> want to be mindful about what i say mm. um but I, I do feel like that's something that some folks do where mm. um in whatever form that uh, might be looked down upon in our society. Okay, so two. <laughs> okay. All right, unacceptable. Um, smashing something. Three. Mm-hmm. Yelling at people. Four. What's unacceptable? Um, crying, even though I think that's probably the most acceptable mm-hmm. thing in the world and it's natural and everyone should be able to cry, obviously. That's something that we're, we're taught to, I guess, like hide our emotions. Five. Okay. What else to do with pain that's considered socially unacceptable? Um, uh, doing anything out of the ordinary. Like, I feel like nor- like behavior is so normalized in a lot of ways where just you see someone who maybe wears something or acts in a certain way. And again, there's that instead of embracing that, the, diff- the quote-unquote different thing, people are like, oh, what's wrong with that person? Instead of just asking why they're doing that or embracing mm-hmm. it if that's just ha- how they are. Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah. Okay, six. Okay. Um, okay, what else is that? We have dealing with pain. I thought of another acceptable one, but that's not quite it. Um, I mean, taking it out on someone else, but I feel like in a lot of American culture, that's what this is. It's about taking our pain out on other people. Mm. So I guess it depends who we take our pain out on. These are seven things. (laughs) (laughs) It's a deep conversation for the first time, but I'm happy to have it. I, one thing that resonates with me. So, uh, this is, uh, shout out to, Peter Levine, who does work on trauma and the Mm. body. And one thing that's been really critical in my healing process and and understanding chronic pain is this idea that, okay, so when there's trauma, uh, something scary, there's typically there's the three responses, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And for me, in terms of traumatic experiences in my life, uh, I have... I've had a frozen response. And what happens long-term is with a frozen response, the body, the mind-body are one, in my experience, goes into a state of long-term helplessness, Mm. despair, Mm -hmm. depression, and disassociation from the body. And what, and also I, so I used to, it's hard to show, but I used to stand like this, so hunch shoulders uh-huh. and my feet pronated in. And as I began, so I had a lot of pain from my shoulders, so much that I couldn't even 
use the computer at all. I couldn't. It hurt to open the refrigerator door. Oof. It was, it was constant. It wake me up at night. Uh, wear wrist guards to bed at night. Even it. The list goes on and on. Um, and as I began to release my shoulders into a more confident, quote like po- aligned way, mm-hmm. I realized that that state of frozenness had actually caused me to have chronic tension in my shoulders Mm. and in releasing it I had to confront all the reasons why I had been bracing myself Mm -hmm. um from and and with that I realized that in all in all these moments of trauma I didn't my body was bracing for being attacked Mm. and and what I've learned in that is to find a healthy way to release the fight response so that my body no longer braces. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is sometimes I I go and ground myself and then I slow motion, release anger. I think of an event or I think of my anger at something. I slow motion release anger, feeling the, the shaking of it and the direction of it against a wall, a pillow. And I can feel that tension released. Mm-hmm. And the way this connects with socially unacceptable ways mm. to express pain is, for example, I was feeling heightened before I came here because okay. I was nervous or excited, kind of that state. Yeah. And in Peter Levine's work, he talks about how we as humans don't have socially acceptable ways to shake that out so animals can shake right 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 rabbit like but but we and so what i did is i was driving and i just allowed my body to tremble the way my little chihuahua trembles Mm -hmm. being at safeway well my housemates but whatever but and i just and it felt so good because but and it felt like oh a release and i couldn't my central my nervous system could Equalize, yeah. But it would be hella weird if I was just shaking on the street mm. out of some fear, mm-hmm. and so instead, it's this the the nervous system, the body holds it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I yeah, I yeah. I mean, that makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think about yeah with yeah. I was dog walking this morning too, and the dog, you know, just will just shake mm-hmm. at at some points, and it is. I think in a way we've been conditioned to not do anything like out of the ordinary or do anything that would be perceived by others to be weird, even if it is helpful for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or I, one thing that in my experience with the chronic pain is we're, we're, you know, pack animals like dogs and the way I think of a dog when it's sick or about to die and goes away from the pack, mm. just like that in my experience when I've been really um, flat out, feeling so sick, I just, I kind of retreat or or I don't want to do this, the weird thing of talking about it out loud mm. because other people may feel uncomfortable because mm. they may feel helpless. Mm-hmm. Because visually I look, quote, typical mm-hmm. and um once again that's like what is socially acceptable to express if i go mm-hmm. oh my god my fucking ankle and then you know i people have seen that over time that the loved ones may retreat because they feel ha- helpless over the long term mm-hmm. yeah 
which then only leads to isolation. And it, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mean, I think about that too with what you were saying earlier about illnesses or things that people might not be able to see or pick up on. And then, yeah, how does one really, you know, how does one share that with with their loved ones or how, or even not necessarily even loved ones, but even you know, moving through the world? How do how does one indicate that to to others? Mm. So this, so. Um, for those that don't know, I'm 28, and I uh, last fall I left graduate school mm-hmm. to to focus on my health full time, and this is my first encounter with chronic illness and first encounter with the medical system, and Oof. weaseling my way through. Yeah, and in that, in letting, in that communicating my experience, of course gender race comes up and Mm -hmm. so for example with fibromyalgia or chronic pain women um tend to be diagnosed or have it or whatever at a higher like much higher rate and so that can so there's this book about pain and she she has pain the author and she follows like she sits in on 700 uh a doctor client interactions wow. and the vast majority is you know it's a white male doctor mm. and a woman and how does you know with all all the things about women and hysteria and craziness mm-hmm. and oh it's just mental mm-hmm. it's just expressing that um like no my pain is valid it's, yeah and and then beyond that too is i mean i'm sure there's things about masculinity too and expressing pain and there's also a race we know that doctors view black folks as like they're much less likely to give them like cardiac like heart treatment or just to view their pain as much less important Mm -hmm. and and actually give them pain medications at Mm -hmm. uh, lower rates and so i luckily weaseled my ass into um in the bay area there's in san francisco kaiser has a six-month chronic pain program Uh shout out to my homies who are listening from that pain program and the level of advocacy like i had been to about 30 appointments before i even got my ass through that door and the reality is who's in that pain program i saw very few people of color Mm -hmm. or black folks or latinos and I think maybe everyone, including myself, was English as a primary language. Mm. And just the, and so I just was sitting there and I was like, okay, so I got, with, with my privilege being an Asian American, like grew up here, um, college educated woman, like got my ass into this program. But how do people that don't have access deal with pain? And it made yeah. sense. It was like street drugs make sense mm-hmm. or, just I I don't know, and that to me is is fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it also speaks a lot about the the health system or lack thereof in this country too, and who has accessibility, who how who it's affordable for, mm-hmm. and then also even when people do get in, like how people are treated by mm-hmm. by doctors there too, and it's also just I mean it's so systemic and it's part of this country too where like it kind of. It, it kind of goes into every single industry. Mm. And I do like to to see it, you know, changing and moving in a more positive 
direction mm-hmm. and being more inclusive, certainly. Mm-hmm. So I work at a UCSF part-time as a standardized patient, and so I work with medical students there, and it's definitely been more um, uplifting to see the young people who really just want to provide the best patient care that they can. So you're a patient? Yeah, so I act, I act as a patient there, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Do you so, act as yourself? No. We have a case. I mean, unless I'm doing an ultrasound, but um, in which case they just need a warm body. But for a lot of the time, uh. they just need uh, ca- people to do cases. So they give us a medical history and uh, social history. So we like memorize it as if we were that person, like a, a role. And we mm-hmm. go in, and when students are doing exams, they examine us, and we have to, you know, act as that patient. Mm-hmm. And so, but then again, like I have the perspective of someone who's who's white, and I'm transmasculine, and also viewed often as cis, mm-hmm. and so that's my own also um, viewed as able-bodied, able-bodied. So that's my own, you know, also perception in terms of how the doctors treat me. Mm. So I also recognize I have that that lens, and it might, and it, I'm sure it's different for everybody how they're treated. Yeah, I was even thinking I had, and this is a moment I so. Um, I'm Vietnamese American, and my skin color changes tans so drastically in the summer mm-hmm. compared to how I look in the winter, and I was just noticing. Uh, so I got to get my vitamin D because apparently I'm low in vitamin D and something, something about how it has to do with chronic pain. So I've been sitting in the sun and, and I had a moment. I was like, as I get tanner, I wonder, because I was about to go into an important meeting with a doctor uh-huh. to advocate for them to extend my short-term disability. And I said, I wonder as my skin color changes darker I wonder if this will impact how they view me mm. and I was just that was a moment I was like colorism me being aware of colorism my own privilege yeah. my own positionality and how that interacts with the medical system yeah yeah <laughs> it's a lot I mean it's just existing in the world like mm-hmm. the moment we leave our house or you know even in mm-hmm. our even, no matter where we are in the world there's always that um, and it we're it's just always existing around us, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it also just brings up what we were talking about before with uh, not necessarily discussing pain or people being aware of pain and how it's something that's like not, and think in certain circles it is talked about certainly. And uh, it's also, I think largely ignored as well to mm-hmm. a degree where it's I'm trying to get my thoughts together here. I'm also just speaking off the cuff it's more that this is something that every single day someone based on how their body appears to others has to navigate the world and just how uh, heavy that is. Uh, Renzi, so healing and community and uh, in a book I was reading, it's like, what is the opposite of pain? Mm. And the author writes, it's, it's being with your best friends and just having a relaxed, good time and laughing, laughing mm-hmm. with your friends. And, and thinking about when, it, when it's heavy, you know, what, and cause I was just like, fuck, like there is something 
going on when I would just be flat out in my bed for 15 hours when I just be able to just there was a month I didn't grocery shop um microwaving all my food just it was really bad and I was like what is the opposite what is the light that at the end of the tunnel to look forward to to think of like if my nervous system is in a hyper vigilant state Mm -hmm. of fear and thus sending out pain signals then what is what is the opposite of that yeah safety and trust and so many times I'd just be with my friends and I'd, and I'd have moments of relief where I was like, oh my God, in the past 30 minutes, I haven't felt pain because the joy, gratitude, and safety yeah. was what my brain was focusing on. Yeah. Um, so shout out to everyone who feels sometimes alone in any t- type of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Indeed. I wanted to talk more about, I guess, a message, a message to our generation. Because mm. I was like, what do I, what do I have to say about what I've seen about these chronic pain books, and mm-hmm. you know, and for every, <laughs> so I've been to so many kind of movement classes or movement series and it's always a white man who gets to trademark his method oh yeah yeah (laughs) and i was thinking like what would be the no method yeah for for releasing pain and then i write a book yeah do it it's like a trademark (laughs) but (laughs) kind of what i want to say is it's okay so i was talking to my physical therapist one of 10 that I've interacted with (laughs) and she reminded me that she must be around 50 or something but she reminded me she's like we've been seeing so many 20 somethings in our chronic pain program recently Mm -hmm. and she's like your generation thinks more is better you want to be fit you want to have abs you want to do this Mm. and what you don't realize is for the vast majority of people less is more Hmm. And I was talking to her because, of course, as a physical therapist, I'm like, my ankle hurts. Should I do like 15 more ankle pumps? And she's like, you need to go and smell smell the flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and look at the sky. And it was just that wisdom of, um, I really believe, I think that the, like, you know, if my body shut down last year, I see sometimes my peers and I'm like, shit, our generation's about to, our bodies are going to shut us the fuck down mm. in some decades because um, there's no way that our nervous systems are meant to handle the loads of stress. So really, uh. for example, it's so normal to, to meet someone in my generation 20s 30s and and like i'm so stressed at work i'm stressed but and it'd be like oh okay for sure but really though if if someone's saying i feel stress what they're saying what their body is actually doing is sending out stress signals to all the systems and telling those systems telling the digestive system hey i need you to shut down real quick Mm -hmm. telling our immune system hey there's a immediate threat so immune system which is more long-term stuff like i need you to take a back seat and 
and starting to imbalance the system. Mm. And <laughs> when I think about that, it's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not, you know, like I, I think we can, we can take when someone says I, I'm stressed when, when we, when I feel stressed to take it more to feel like, wow, this is important. Yeah. Yeah. Because the long-term imbalances um, will throw some systems off. And for me, with the fibromyalgia or this kind of muscular pain, that was for me to have a, an arout, a hypervigilant brain mm-hmm. um, through. So I, I was, had, was depressed middle school through early 20s heavily and and that and that's something to take seriously too because the long-term impact of that is once again like so i was feeling depressed 13 to let's say 23 then i felt i had gut issues around Mm. age 19 which is the effect of long-term the body being like hey digestive system we don't really we you know and then what happens is most of the 90 percent of our serotonin is produced in our gut so huh. when we t- so yeah so we talk about depression and feeling well nut- in terms of nutrient huh. absorption right the gut is so important if i'm eating but i'm my shits are crazy because i feel anxious and it's just the nutrients literally are not so so having long-term years of a nutrient imbalance and I would get sick so often. Mm. So then immunity went. And this is a trend that a lot of fibromyalgia folks present with because they show up with like 10 different issues. But it's really uh, a chain reaction mm-hmm. of what, what shows up enough to get our fucking attention. And then it was, um, yeah, so I had digestive issues. They even stuck a camera up my butt to see if something was wrong. Nothing was wrong. Mm. And then I was peeing like crazy anxiety peeing so those systems and then immunity then the neuromuscular pain started coming in around that time and it just got high enough last year to catch my attention for me to stop pushing through it It was like bitch you need to you i'm gonna shut you the hell down and Mm. you're gonna listen to me and what a blessing yeah wow Huh. I'm thinking about all that and especially going back to the idea that the gut is in charge of like 90%. Just, I hadn't heard that before. And there's also just so much that we don't know. So I really appreciate you sharing this. Wow. Huh. Huh. Right, because it's common, I, I think. I mean, I was doing it for someone to be like, okay, you know, like, I'm going to like drink over the weekend and then I'm going to have like a few cups of coffee every day and then I'll have, like, I don't want to shame anyone's behavior, but it, it's super normal, kind of the normal ways of dealing with pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you know, I was feeling stressed. I had a smoke, for sure. I had... I was doing all those things, but, and, but it's like really what's underlying is, is we're trying to address what the body is signaling. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm, in, I'm getting it, feeling imbalanced. Yeah. Because 
just yeah shout out to everyone who feels sometimes like it's just a lot to be to be alive and move through the world yeah i mean especially the time that we're living in i think there's always been challenges during the times but also just now with so much of so many people are in debt so many people are overworked underslept where Mm -hmm. it's like we're not supposed to be doing this much um and we're supposed to be connecting you know living uh you know communally or living and you know living off the land and instead people end up spend how many hours a day either commuting or in an office indoors not seeing their fr- their friends and family and loved ones oftentimes doing work they don't care about only so they can afford a roof over their heads and food in their mouths like where and that's you know and that's for you know for some folks or other folks who are incarcerated for simply trying to mm-hmm. you know get something to eat or being in the wrong place at the wrong time or looking a certain way like being profiled yeah. or incarcerated for trying to maybe using an illegal drug because that was the only accessible way for medical medical help or for you know something to deal with their medical condition yeah exactly so it's i mean it's i was talking about this earlier in the program it's just it's so i mean things are so backwards where it's instead of going towards rehabilitation for people there's so much punishment for people in this culture and no wonder there's so much pain and suffering it's i mean it's so unnecessary yeah and it's systemic so it's like larger than any of us so how do we and it's been happening since before any of us were born so how do we move to create a different way of being when we're all it's kind of living through it it makes so currently with the legalization of marijuana and cannabis um and the the pain relieving products that have come from um, the marijuana plant and yeah just thinking like that's that's been such a savior for me and for so many people with pain mm-hmm. but thinking about like you know black folks who've gone to jail for having a joint mm-hmm. and are still going to jail for just having a joint and how I think of them in the media or their stereotype of like they're just relaxing like like, like like lazy black folks just smoking pot in the hood or something and then they need to be incarcerated because they're like that whole narrative versus the narrative of a San Francisco millennial who can walk into a hip pot store mm-hmm. like myself and pay $50 for CBD oil sure and how the state just black people being demonized for if the joint was what could alleviate their pain and suffering right then yeah of course yeah um that's just not viewed that way yeah i mean it's also who's profiting off it who's profiting off putting people in prison and now who's mm-hmm. profiting off opening dispensaries and mm-hmm. it, i mean it's just it's also like with the 80s and the crack epidemic too versus now with the opioid crisis Mm -hmm. and like who's looked at as a victim versus you know like how it's like so much also just how like the narrative is spun and who's telling the story and people being unable to or not whether it's like the media or however things are framed by people in positions of power looking to make people into uh culprits somehow when they're just wanting to live their lives versus other folks who it's just, it's, yeah. I mean, so much of it goes into the, the mental framing of it. Like, who's telling the story? What are they saying? Mm-hmm. And people are just wanting to survive. And yeah, I mean, it's like there's white supremacy like all, all over it and all over the narratives. <sighs> I 
I have a, a knack for really bringing things down into a, <laughs> not necessarily, dep- I mean, it's, I think it's true. Cause it's like, it is how the world is, has been operating and it, and it's also, I think one's responsibility to combat that and to create a equitable world. Hmm. There's so much. There's so much that's on my mind. I, yeah. Oh, can I give a shout out? Some shout outs. Yeah, you? please. Yeah. Belle, Elise, do, 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 do. mommy. Okay, for show. Um, hi. <laughs> and pain. That's one of the the humbling things about pain, is that it cuts through. For me, to through all, through down to the core of humanity, we all have pain, mm-hmm. and it. So for me, that's another thing I want to talk about was my own journey as a quote social justice warrior mm-hmm. and the identities that came around that, mm-hmm. and how pain forced me to confront and drastically change my my view on all this. Okay. So I think. So, um, let's see, I'm 28 now. So about 10 years ago, you know, I did my first social justice youth program. Okay. And what was that like? (laughs) Um, I mostly, I mostly grew up in the South Bay, the Bay area, San Jose ish area. And that social justice program was getting Asian Americans to do civic engagement. So we were doing a public health fair. I was Mm -hmm. basically, I was to the point of burnout. Yeah. Already. And I was only 17. But basically, Ooh. and since then, I've been just pushing myself to the point of burnout over and over in many nonprofits. And what the identity that the story and narrative and identity that was driving it was look, I grew up in the hood. I had XYZ trauma. Therefore, I will become a great awoken leader and go back to my communities and places that I associate with and I will the social justice warrior actions. Sure. But really what was root, what, what a large part of the kind of like the, the madness or this kind of like fervor Mm -hmm. that was, um, fueling it was this, unresolved pain the the true pain that caused me to be so inspired to do something mm-hmm. and and how it lived in my body and how it's so disassociated from it so for example um my family we lived in there was a time where we were in two domestic violence shelters mm-hmm. and a family transitional housing shelter mm-hmm. in san jose and for one of my nonprofits I worked at, we made gardens in San Jose. And so we had a garden at the family transitional shelter that uh-huh. I had stayed at with my family. And so sure, in the narrative of my mind, I was like, great, I'm going back to where I grew up. I, But then really the unaddressed trauma of being like a fourth grade girl and 
going and to like a family homeless shelter, you know, and domestic violence, like that, that was unresolved. Mm-hmm. And in this time where I've gotten, so I've had, um, so how this connects with pain in terms of physical pain is I've had pain in my womb space, my pelvic floor for so many years. And I thought it was normal. Mm. I literally thought that having a vagina meant that there would be this amount of pain until I was with a woman and she was like, yo, all the other like female body people I've been with, they don't have pain like you during sex. And then I was like, shit. And so in this exploration that I've had, um, I literally have a physical therapist. She sticks like a finger up my vagina. It's super interesting because people don't know that pelvic floor physical therapists Mm -hmm. exist. And in finding those painful spots and releasing them, I realized what is kind of underneath that is releasing the the cumulative societal trauma around sexual violence to women Mm -hmm. and this bracing feeling like being a woman it so you know like every time i hear about an incidence of sexual violence from a loved one or even stranger on the news Mm -hmm. it's like of course the body receives that yeah and braces somewhere because it's 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 trauma to all of us to hear about one person's a horrible thing that one person uh, happened to somebody yeah and i never thought in, i always went to the brain i was like you know what can we do to like liberate like you know like around gender around like women's rights and about you know like fuck that i'm gonna you know f- whatever it was in the mind like what can i do you know mm-hmm. what job can i get to protect women etc but in the body i never thought where is my body bracing against this mm. and thus my muscles literally being in chronic tension and sending pain signals so i have pain in my womb wow so and in releasing that it's forced me to cut to cut through all these layers and to um really listen to my body yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Whew, that's a lot. If you're listening, you can just breathe with us. Yeah. We also do have um, a phone, so folks are listening and want to call in with any comments or questions. Our phone number is 415-550-0511. And the show is completely uncensored, so you're welcome to use any language you'd like. What is it? 555-415? It's uh, 415-550-0511. And so we can take calls as well. Yeah, I mean it's important also just to let yeah let things land and, and think about them too. I, I recognize that this is like the the medium is audio format and at the same time recognizing that in situations uh, sometimes silence is really necessary. 
instead of filling up filling up with something that's not necessarily needed. Shout out to my mom who's worried about how my stepdad can listen. Don't worry. It'll be uploaded later, mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, we will be... uh, the show is broadcasting live on Mutiny Radio and will be uploaded within a few hours to the Mutiny Radio website as well as iTunes and Stitcher. And we'll be sharing those links online afterwards. So thanks everyone for calling in. And we can also take a music break too. Um, I'm, I feel like we're having a good time, but it's up to you. Um, yeah. You feel like, we got like a, a stretch break. Chronic uh, pain folks right. always stretching. Yeah. All right. So let's hear some more and, music. W- hold up. Y'all, call, someone call in. What is it? 415 550 zero five one one all right we'll be back in a little bit
and Hello. welcome back to the weekly review and we have a caller on the line dan thanks for calling in thank you so much for having me yeah hi i call him bail which means Bale. cheetah in vietnamese uh, that's my older brother y'all thanks for calling in yeah I, it's uh it's 10 30 in egypt right now wow 10 30 in the evening wow and uh I was uh, cleaning the dishes when I put on this uh, podcast, and then my sister came on, so that's really cool. Yeah. I just wanted to, uh, I, I'd like to ask my sister, what advice does she have then for people in her generation who are too stressed out? What advice do I have for people in our generation who are too stressed out? Thank you so much, Bill. Side note, I want to give a shout out. My brother was traveling and I was very, very, very ill. And he stayed on my couch for two and a half months. He's cooked me so many meals. I went for the, like all the months that I was not driving, he literally drove me everywhere to my training classes, to Kaiser. He grocery shopped, he cleaned for me, he unloaded the dishwasher for me. I Thank you so much, Bao. Uh So my advice is to there's just so many expectations for our generation, and especially I just think of us in San Francisco. You know, to to make so much, to make money, to have this, to oh my god, the Instagram, it's so overwhelming. And one thing is, I'm still facing this, and I'm still in very much denial that my body is bound to get ill and die, if not through this form of illness that I, that their body will go through pain and die. And I'm so in denial of that because it, I had such an chronic pain, folks. This is so normal of like having a huge identity loss with chronic illness of like, oh, my name is Lan. I love to run. I love to watercolor journal. I, to show love, I cook for my friends. I'm a social justice warrior. I'm going to be a this or that. And, and it really cut through even all these identities that I thought were positive that, yeah, they're great, but it just cut through it at the core. I was like, yo, Lan, you're asking, you, you bound to get sick and you better respect that. So, Belle, are you looking for more specific advice? Like, <laughs> drink more water or something? It's like two things that, on a basic level. Okay, sure. Sure. Take your sleep seriously. Hmm. So, um, they taught us in the chronic pain program that if you take any old person and deprive them of one hour of sleep for three days in a row, that they will rate their pain higher. Huh. And so to really think, I just think about our generation, like, ah, oh, fuck it, like, I'm gonna stay up to 2 a.m., like, fuck it, don't matter. It's like, it does matter. Like, how the, how the hell do you think your body is gonna recover yourself? Like, literally. <laughs> it, it's not going to be magic. Like we are not immune to our body's systems and our body's wisdom. Like you need a slave so your optimal gut, all your systems can be off, you know, do its thing. And thinking that we can find hacks. 
our, our generation, like I love the hacks, right? Oh, it's fine. I don't need that much sleep. Like I'll just do this the next day. It's all good. Like, psh. <laughs> Bail. Yeah. Oh. Well, actually, I'm actually going to go to sleep right now and not actually talk about it because I'm trying to wake up at 7 tomorrow do some you, yoga. You just... So, uh, another, piece, gonna, mm-hmm. huh? another piece of advice is, you know, for example, when I think about what were the obstacles for me to take care of my health, I was very nervous in telling my former supervisor at work Nothing, it was just a, a, a great person. I, but I was so scared to be like, I'm stressed and I need a break. Or I was so scared to walk away from the computer. What if other people think this? And now when I've gone through such a debilitating breakdown, it makes those worries so small. Mm. I was so worried about what people would think of me at work and oh my God, would I be good enough? And is, was this email professional enough? It's like, psh. Yo, do the minimal amount. It's all good. Like, mm-hmm. go and suck, like, take in the air, eat something. It's all good. Because it's not going to matter when you, your body tells you to break down, you know, breaks you down. Um, yeah, it's all good. All right. Thank you, Thank Belle. You I love much. you so much. Thanks for calling in, Belle. I love you too. I love you guys. Keep doing, keep doing the show. <laughs> oh, thank you. All right, I'll listen to the podcast afterwards. Yeah, please do. <laughs> okay, right. take care, guys. You too. Bye. Bye. Oh, how lovely. Yes, my brother, um, when he came on my couch and just took care of me day in, day out, we actually started a outdoor mindfulness oh that's great program and it's not off we did five sessions together for our our peers and it's really geared it's um it's called intense like intention and also intense talking about outdoor experiences but really geared for our millennial stressed out generation to really have a space where people could just come and genuinely talk with each other Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about all the this or that but just to just be yeah and it really speaks to what my physical therapist was saying earlier to me just we really less is more Mm -hmm. really we just need less yeah i meant to ask what what he's up to in egypt Oh my gosh, shout out y'all. Vitamin Dan on YouTube, my brother makes, uh, is frolicking about and sharing the love of life and people and stories through video. So, oh, cool. Vitamin Dan, y'all, he, to get, to make money, he needs a thousand subscribers and he's like at 850. So, if okay. y'all could just subscribe to him, just do him, like, it is hell hard to get a hundred, another 150 people from the universe. So, Vitamin Dan, if you want to do one random, act of kindness vitamin dan we'll do that right now (laughs) subscribe to my brother excellent yeah is it just the two of you do you have uh more siblings i have one more older brother okay yes what is your phone number again four one it's four one five 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 zero zero five one one five five zero zero five five one Someone yeah. else call us. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, we can also talk about, I mean, we've talked a bit about improv um, before, but we can also segue into that a little bit um, and or also continue on with, you were talking earlier about uh, social justice and how you started when you were younger. Mm-hmm. So I thought if you also wanted to talk more about um, anything that you're involved with now or. Hmm. It's interesting. So I have, so I, I love to state purely to people that I am on short-term disability mm-hmm. because I think it's important for people to know, like, for me, I had no idea what the hell that was, what my options were when, so I was in grad, um, grad school mm-hmm. for three weeks to become a social worker. Ah, Specifically for child protective services, mm. which I think is another reason why my body was like, no, mm-hmm. um, in terms of I, I it was part of my narrative, right? I'm going to go and face like a fearless warrior, the hardest parts of my own trauma. Mm. And my body was like, uh-uh, we've been hypervigilant because of that trauma for however many decades and you are not going to go back. I'm mm. going to shut you down. Mm. And that's how I interpret it. And, um, and so when I, I was just, so I was at the point where I was, so I went to SF state for three weeks and I was, I, my back hurt, it hurt to sit, but I would bike there. I'd push through it. I get up. I couldn't even hold a textbook open without pain. I couldn't even flip, um, a page without pain. I would have wrist guards in bed, like, gently clutching a highlighter i went to the disability office and they said okay we can get people to take notes for you you can get a verbal dictation you can (laughs) during tests we can have another person come through and type it for you and i was like this is this is great first of all thank you the american disabilities act and all the disability justice folks out there and i was like wow i was just gonna push through it and then with the wisdom of a loved one, she was like, no, land, like you, <laughs> clearly you need to take care of yourself. And so I was so confused what to do. And so short-term disability is something that we all, not we all, some, I don't even know the details, but luckily when I was at my nonprofit, I was able to pay into, do you know, all, do you know much about short-term disability insurance? I don't, no. You know, you know, some of that, that tax, whatever gets cut off the paycheck, some of it goes into short-term disability, which okay. is in case I get disabled mm-hmm. um, or hurt on the job, I have this pot of money and then I can, that pot of money, I could get 60% of what I was making okay. at my nonprofit job um, to me for up to 18 months or until the money runs out. Okay. Please... I am no expert on this. Y'all fact check this. But that even itself in terms of institutional knowledge and privilege, my own privilege to have a support network who like I did not, my brother would sit and I'd be flat out, you know, on medication, like couldn't even write. And he would write out forms for me for hours. Mm. My housemate who is an accountant and HR genius would look through the nitty gritty Mm -hmm. of these complicated systems and get me my paperwork done and advocate for me. But basically I've been able, so a lot of people ask me like, wow, like, so you're not working. And it's like, yeah, I get to have this, this pot of money that, I don't know. I, I think that's just something to be aware of. Like, yo, like there's, there are ways that we have a right to take care of ourselves if, if we have been 
um, able to have the privilege to be able to have a job that does provide that. Mm -hmm. And, and also the, yeah, just, damn, your question is, what am I doing now? It's really, I, it's healing and I, it's such a privilege. So every day I take my, um, my medication it's an antidepressant that happens to work on the nervous system so mm-hmm. for some people to decrease pain okay and i t- you know i learned this from uh, a nun sister dang yim from her book mindfulness is medicine but she takes the pill because i'd be so scared so terrified to ingest this pill because there were some gnarly side effects for me mm-hmm. um in the beginning but i take it and i pray i'm like may every cell of my body be open to this healing and may my healing be for all beings and may I share anything I've learned from my healing without hesitation mm. and so that's my prayer every single day and I really I've had to continue to, to check myself because about three months ago I wanted to go back to work because I was getting restless right the old narratives like I must be the champion millennial that passed just through it and quickly my body was like Mm-mm, girl like how are you gonna drive your car there how are you even gonna write this email mm. i was using voice dictation for all my emails mm. and so it's been such a humbling thing for me to as those old habit patterns come back like you need to work you are worthless without work you know all, all the things our capitalist society tells us you're mm-hmm. worthless uh, shame to be like no like my, listen to my body like body what do you need? And my body's like, I need you to go be in the sun and do some shoulder stretches right now. I don't need you to be working right now. So that's what I'm doing and um, really sharing anything I've learned on this path without hesitation. Yeah, I appreciate that. (sighs) Wow, yeah, thanks for sharing with us. Um, So we'll probably be wrapping up pretty soon. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention before we... Oh my god! I want to give a shout out. Shout out's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to Amy Lamb, who uh, is a vibrational healer and who Ooh. has uh, Amy Lamb, y'all. Amy Grace Lamb, uh, who has really been. So many people have guided me through uh, my healing work, and she really has helped me to uh, listen to my body and really find where those what my body is holding on to bracing against and to release it through my body so wow what's vibrational healing it's hard to explain because it's like do you know the hop on the magic school bus that uh, one show the magic school bus oh i think that that came out a little bit after i was born so i've heard of it but i didn't really watch it it was yeah well she's like the healer version of it. so basically and hop on the magic school bus there's like this wild and awesome teacher and everyone hops on the magic school bus and uh-huh. then they go into the body and then they go oh. into like then like organs and cells try to eat them and they pop out the other end and everyone's like whoa that was crazy but like we're safe and we learned a lot yeah she's like the healer version of that and oh cool i just want to give a shout out to just any you know there's so many people doing healing work for millennia and currently and um i just want to give those people a shout out too because 
in our Western medicine world, it's just seen it's seen as garbage. Mm. But there's intuitive, kind of known knowledge that there's something beyond just the kind of the framework of Kaiser or any other institution. Yeah, there's healing knowledge beyond that. Yeah, I appreciate that sharing that. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. It's great to meet you and, and hear your perspective and your knowledge. It's a lot to think about, too. I think I'll, I'll go back and listen again because it's usually when I do, do this show, it's like I want to be present and in the moment. And then sometimes I go back and listen like, oh, and there's this piece and this piece. Mm. And there's just a lot of, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, facts here that, are, that I'm grateful were, were shared. So we'll investigate more. Thank you. Also, I want to give a shout out to Roman is mutiny. So this is my first time ever being on a radio show. Let me set the stage, y'all. We're in the mission 21st in Florida Mm -hmm. and it's hella cute. It's Friday, 12 to two. And if you feel like you want to reach out to Roman, Roman is literally the nicest, sweetest person ever. I was, I was nervous, right? I was doing that shaking thing in the car. But if you feel like you want to share something, literally, it is like chilling with just an angel. So if you want to come chill with Roman, hit them up and then... Yeah, please do. How should they... Um, you can... I feel like all the things I want to say are like, I mean, oh, that social media is terrible. I mean, I'm on Twitter, which I know is terrible. And also I'm there, at Roman Reimer, R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. You can send me a direct message that way. There's also a weekly review webpage on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. We also have a Patreon account up, um, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. I'm not going to give my personal phone number on the air just for, you know... <laughs> who knows um so yeah if you find us on on facebook or twitter i feel like that's a good way of getting in touch um or if you know lan um you can uh connect uh connect with me that way so yeah thank you i appreciate your kind words it really means a lot so i um it's great to to get to to know you and to be able to provide a a place where folks can talk i miss that i feel mm-hmm. like now with there's so many screens in front of us and there's not that real sense of connection that one gets from being in the same room as somebody. Mm. So I'm grateful that you're able to come here. It's Friday, y'all. It, it is it's Friday. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here. I'm going to wrap up this show. Um, there's a lot of other news story. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things going on and we'll, we'll, uh, if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, um, you can find new other news stories there. There's one, uh, one I just wanted to mention that um, it didn't get it because there's always just so much happening. And that's, um, if you heard that at Swarthmore, there are students um, who did a sit-in at a frat and now two frats have disbanded after there's a four-day student sit-in. And there's a story in Rolling Stone if folks want to take a look at that. And uh, I also wanted to recognize it's, I oftentimes provide a trigger warning before the show because we talk about a lot of news articles and just things that are happening in the world that uh, may uh, I don't want to further cause trauma to folks and also want to recognize what's happening and share that information so if folks want to read about it there's an article in Rolling Stone by E.J. Dixon uh, that came out on April 30th uh, and it was like leaked documents from the Phi Kappa Psi which is a fraternity there revealed the history of misogyny racism and homophobia so there was that fraternity and another one decided to disband after students did a sit-in so I like to have the time on the show to also um, 
recognize that there are so many ways that folks are taking action and uh, direct action really does get the good. So I wanted to send a lot of solidarity to all the students there who took matters into their own hands. And so yeah, uh, Delta, Upsilon, and Phi Psi have announced that they will be disbanding as of May 1st. So uh, despite everything that's happening in the world, there's also a lot of folks out there doing a lot of good work. So I wanted to end on a positive note like that. Do you have any uh, song requests as we uh, wrap up the show? Beyonce. Okay. Can do. Any particular song? Just anything. Damn. Okay. Shout out to Beyonce. Yeah. I haven't. Have you seen her new special on Netflix? Of course. Okay. I don't don't know. (laughs) Last night. uh, Just she's an inspiration. You know, I just was. Sometimes I'm just like, uh, with chronic pain, I'm like, how am I going to get through this? And I'm like, uh, look at Beyonce real quick. You know, I'm like, okay, (laughs) we all need our sources of inspiration. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, looking up. All right. Okay. So ending up with some. Beyonce here, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. At the New Orleans. Uh, Len, thank you so much for being here. And yes. we will be back next week. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bitch, I'm back. I'm popular the man. Y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi, catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress I'm so possessive so I rock his rock necklaces My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama Sauce in my bag, swag. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah, I. Oh, oh yes, I like that. I did not come to play with you hoes. <laughs> I came to slay, bitch. I like cornbreads and collard greens, bitch. Oh yes, you best believe it. Y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi, catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. Sauce in my bags. Well, I, I see it, I want it. Want I suck it. yellow, want it. Want I it. dream it, I work hard, I grind till I own it. Own I it. twirl on the middles. I buy no alligators. Get up with Nino with the Tito's. Sipping Cuervo and no Chisa. I go out, I go out, I go hard, I go hard. Yeah, what's mine? Hey, what's mine? I'm a star, I'm a star. Cause I slay, I slay, I slay.
your song played on the radio station. I might get your song played on the radio station. You just might be a black Bill Gates in the making. I just might be a black Bill Gates in the making. I tried to change, closed my mouth more, tried to be softer, prettier. Less awake. Fasted for 60 days. Wore white. Abstained from mirrors. Abstained from sex. Slowly did not speak another word. In that time, my hair, I grew past my ankles. I slept on a mat on a floor. I swallowed a sword. I levitated, went to the basement, confessed my sins and was baptized in a river. Got on my knees and said amen and said I mean. I whipped my own back and asked for dominion at your feet. I threw myself into a volcano. I drank the blood and drank the wine. I sat alone and begged and bent at the waist for God. I crossed myself and thought I saw the devil. I grew thick in skin on my feet. I bathed in bleach and plugged my menses with pages from the holy book, but still inside me, coiled deep, was the need to know. Are you cheating, cheating on me? Are you cheating on me? They don't love you like I love you Step down, they don't love you like I love you Can't you see there's no other man above you? What a wicked way to treat the girl that loves you Oh love, they don't love you like I love you Oh down, they don't love you like I love you Something don't feel right, because it ain't right Especially coming up after midnight 
I smell your secrets And I'm not too perfect To ever feel this worthless How did it come down to this Scrolling through your call list I don't wanna lose my pride But I'ma fuck me up a bitch Know that I kept it sexy And know I kept it fun There's something that I'm missing Maybe my head for one What's worst? Looking jealous or crazy Jealous or crazy Or like being walked all over lately Walked all over lately I'd rather be crazy Hold up, they don't love you like I love you 